The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. It's so good to be here this morning to worship the Lord together. Um, I'd ask that you turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 22. Luke 22. I tried to preach on this uh, Wednesday night at Five Mile. It's still on my mind, and so I, I believe that it's right to, for us to talk about it here this morning. Luke 22, and verse 54. Then took they him, and led him, and brought him into the high priest's house. And Peter followed afar off. And when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall... And were sat down together, Peter sat down among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire, and earnestly looked upon him, and said, This man was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. And after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about the space of one hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. I want to talk to you about this look that Jesus gives to Peter. Now when I read this, it... it it convicts me. I feel like I have experienced this to a degree. <laughs> when I have done something against the Lord and I immediately feel the conviction of the Lord, I immediately feel Him look at me. Can you imagine being there, being, being Peter, as these people come up and you deny your friend, you deny your Savior multiple times, and then on the third time and, and the, the cock crows, and then immediately your friend, your Savior, the Lord of this world, the Lord of this universe, <laughs> looks over at you. Can you, imagine, can you imagine what Jesus was communicating to Peter in that look? Can you, imagine, can you imagine if you were the Lord, okay? Can you imagine what you would be thinking when Peter is doing this? In verse, verse 31 of that same chapter, this is, this is before the garden. This is before Jesus' arrest. And the Lord said to Simon, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Was this a surprise to Jesus? You know, you know, you may think, well, didn't, didn't Peter's faith fail? Well, Jesus said, I pray that your faith fail, and when 
thou art converted. Strengthen thy brethren. So I pray that your faith will not fail, and, but when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. Does it, are, are you like that? <laughs> Can you say a lot more than what you're actually willing to do? I know we've all been there. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. So Jesus knows what's about to happen. Jesus knows this is going to happen. As a matter of fact, Jesus is already praying for Peter that when he is converted, that when he comes back from, from that lapse, <laughs> that he might encourage the brethren. You know, but I, I could just imagine that if I was in that position of Jesus and I had told Peter this and he had been so arrogant that he was not going to be that way, that when that cock crowed, that when I looked at him, I'd be saying, I told you so, right? Now, I want us to go through some scriptures here and I want us to look at, uh, see if we can learn a little bit about the nature of our God. And see, you know, we don't really know what this look means, but I want to see if we can dig a little deeper into it, okay? Luke 19 and verse 5. Now, many of these uh, passages are passages I've shared with you before and others have shared with you before from this pulpit. But I, I pray that we might be able to get, get something out of this. You know, this book has been around for thousands of years, so... Um, just because we're preaching new, the same passage doesn't mean that the Lord can't still uh, breathe life into it for us. Luke 19, and verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Here we have another, another time in which Jesus looked at somebody. We have, a, we have another look that we see here. Now this is very different. <laughs> very different than the look that Peter gets, right? That Jesus looks on this person who instead of, instead of abandoning him, instead of being embarrassed of him, this was somebody who was quite the opposite. In fact, he was willing to endure embarrassment so that he could see Jesus. So the opposite of Peter, okay? And Jesus walks up to this man, seeks this man out too. And he looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name and he says, make haste, I'm coming to your house today. I'm coming to eat lunch with you, to abide at thy house. Let's go to Mark, the book of Mark, chapter 10. See another, another time in which Jesus looked upon somebody and we get, we get a little information from that. In verse 17 of Mark 10, And when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running, and kneeled to him, and asked him, Good master, 
What shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now this has been preached on a lot. It's hard, it's hard to go through this and just get this look from, the, from Jesus. So I'm gonna, we may get a few things out of this. He comes to Jesus. He's wanting something to do so that he can have eternal life. And I believe that Jesus in these next few uh, statements, through questioning him, walks him through to the conclusion that there is nothing you can do to gain eternal life through your actions. He says, why callest thou me good? There's, there's really the heart of the issue right there. And then he says, well, keep all the commandments. And then the, 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 he says, I've done all these. And then he says, well, one thing thou lackest, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. You see, even when he thought he had kept all the law, there were still some things out there that he was not doing perfectly. And Jesus brought him right to it and showed it to him, it's impossible for you to work yourself into heaven. But notice this, this is what we really wanted to get here. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. We have a look of love here. As Jesus looks on this man, he looks on this child of God, and loves him. And so lest we think that when this person leaves here and he, he fails to meet the demands of Christ, that he dies and goes to hell. You know what happened to this man? is that he missed out on being able to have assurance of salvation in his life. But as far as him being in heaven, we'll, we'll get to visit with him someday. Because Jesus loved him. Jesus beholding him loved him. We have a look of love. Matthew 9. Go turn over there with me. I want to get another look that Jesus gives somebody. Matthew 9. So in Zacchaeus we have somebody who seeks out God. Who seeks out the Lord. Just wants to be with him. And Jesus looks on him and abides with him that day. You want to visit with the Lord? I know, I'm, I miss him so badly. Well, you can seek him out and he will abide with you. That is a guarantee that I give to you. If you seek out your Savior, he will visit you. And then with the rich young ruler, we have somebody who is coming seeking assurance who is seeking salvation. And Jesus loves that person. You see, even though that person walked away without assurance because he didn't understand, if you come to Jesus seeking salvation, he already loves you. <laughs> he, you already have it. And now we have this person here. This is very different. Those people came to Jesus on their own volition. Now we have a paralyzed man. In verse, verse 1 of, of Matthew 9, And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And of course, he heals this man. And this man is able to get up off this bed and walk away. Now notice what we have here. 
Jesus looks on them. He looks on this man. But specifically, says he looks on, he sees their faith. Isn't this amazing? We see something a little different here. With Zacchaeus and the rich young ruler, they were, they were coming to Jesus on their own action, on their own volition. But this man was not able to, to get to Jesus by himself, right? He's paralyzed. Well, his friends, his, his brothers, his sisters, they bore him up to Christ. And Jesus, seeing their faith, healed this man. Now, what does that tell me? Now, that tells me that, that you have no idea what kind of impact and effect that you have on the people around you. Did you know that, that your Lord may just be blessing somebody in your life because of your faith? Now, I'm not talking about you being able to somebody to be saved because they know you. I mean, that's ridiculous, okay? I'm just talking about that there are ways in which the Lord providentially blesses in our lives. And I could say this. I can say this. You, my brothers and sisters here at this church, have bore me to Christ so many times. I feel like I've been that paralyzed man on multiple occasions. I've been that paralyzed man this morning as I've, as I've listened to you sing and listened to us worship together, I feel like you have been carrying me to Christ and He has blessed me because of your faith. Remember that. Remember that when you are bearing up the, the concerns and the burdens of other people's lives. And, it, and it's a burden. As you sit there, as you are in prayer before the Lord, and you are burdened down with all of the pain and the suffering of others, you can bear up your brothers and sisters to Christ. And this has already been mentioned in the prayer request with, with my sister-in-law and her cancer diagnosis. When we heard that news, my heart was, was broken for them, was broken for my brother and their, and their kids. As I, as I knew that I wanted to say something to him. I wanted to help. I wanted to go visit. But I absolutely had no idea what to say. <laughs> there was, I was unprepared for that. And then I fell into this trap. <laughs> I fell into this trap of saying, well, all I can do is pray. God forbid. You know, all I can do, <laughs> all I can do is take is take their situation before the most powerful being in the universe who created this world by speaking it into, into existence, who saved my sorry soul. You know, if you really think about it, all I can do is pray. Man, let's start there. <laughs> How about we start with praying? Instead of, well, if you can do nothing else, then pray. Why don't we start with prayer? <laughs> and then if the Lord wants us to help out any further, we can do something. That's what these people were doing in a, in a literal sense when they carried this man to Jesus. And Jesus looked on them. You know, to be in the eyes of Christ, to be beheld by Him is such a beautiful thing. When He looks on your situation and He understands your situation. You know, we see that in Genesis 16. 
And I, I won't go there for the sake of time. I've shared this with you before. Genesis 16, this is the account of Hagar, of, of Sarah's handmaiden. And you know, they're trying to help the Lord out. They're trying to help the Lord out with having that child that the Lord had promised them. And so they have this, this strange uh, surrogacy that they set up here through Hagar. Well, she does what she's asked to do. And then the jealousy and the bitterness kicks in and then, and then Sarah kicks her out. And she runs away. You know, the Lord comes to her in, as she's out there in the wilderness, as she's a nobody, as she's a loser, as she feels like nobody in this world cares about her. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> you know, the Lord comes to her and He says, I see you. I feel you. He says, and I will bless this child. I'll bless this child to be a great nation. You know, she, she called the name of that place. I can't even remember the name. I could, I could read it, but essentially the, the Hebrew of it, the literal translation, is the well of him that lives and sees me. Praise God. She gave a name for God, Elroy, the God that sees me. That's the God that no matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, that He sees you right where you are. No matter how bad you hurt, no matter, no matter what kind of sickness is in your family or in the people that you love, He sees you. He, he feels what you're feeling. You know, we have a high priest that is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. At all points, He has been tempted like as we are. You know, He understands you. We see this in Exodus 2, and I, I will turn there. Exodus chapter 2, speaking of God seeing and understanding you in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your affliction. In verse 24 of Exodus 2, And God heard their groaning. He's speaking of the Israelites there in bondage as slaves in Egypt. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. And God looked upon the, uh, upon the children of Israel and God had respect unto them. Imagine the God of glory, the perfect and righteous God, looking down on you in the midst of whatever storm of life that you're in right now. And, and, and Him, that God, having respect unto you and being able to appreciate what you're going through and fully understand it and care so deeply about you. You know, that is a God that, that I, I cannot fathom, I cannot understand. In Psalm 14, we get this, and we, we, uh, we've been here to this passage many times here. I should be able to quote it, but I'm going to read it to you. Psalm 14 and verse 2. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men 
to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And what did he see? Did he see that there was there's a little bit of good in everybody? Since they are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. You know, this, you want to talk about God looking down and seeing. This is him seeing all of his people, all of, all of creation, and seeing, uh, seeing all the people that he created out there. And we get this beautiful image of election. All right, this is what we get from this, this uh, account of God looking at somebody. You know, some people believe in election, the doctrine of election, that, that God looked down and when he chose out his people, that he looked down and he saw those people that would accept him, that would do good, and so then he saved them. Well, the, the causation is a little backwards, okay? We see here, Psalm 14 is very clear. He looks down and what does he see? He sees that everybody is bad. <laughs> That nobody is good. And so what happens in election is that God looks down and He chooses the people that He will place His love on. Those are the people that He will make good. It's a, it is a beautiful image of Him choosing out His bride. Not because of something that we would do but because of something that He would do on us. That He would, he would choose us and, and make us the objects of His love. So we have another look of love. <laughs> We've seen several that the Lord has given out. This was a big one. When He looks down and He sees you just the way you are. He doesn't see you with, with your makeup. He doesn't see you with all the things that you put in your life to conceal the real you, right? All the facade that you put up to be presentable in public, he sees right into your ugly, nasty heart that maybe you're not even aware of is down in there. You know, that's what's so amazing about the love of our God. It's that it's not like the love that, that Meredith probably has for me. I've got her fooled, I believe. I believe that I have been able to hide from her my bad parts. I try to. <laughs> no, the Lord looks at me and He sees me how I am. He sees the reality of my selfishness. He sees the reality of my pride, my vainglory. He sees every wicked thought, every evil deed. He sees you warts and pimples and all, as they say. But yet, He chooses to love you despite that. Amen. Now, that is amazing. That is a God of love. He doesn't love you because it's convenient for Him. He loves you because He does. <laughs> right? So, there's no re redeeming qualities in everybody. No, Christ had to redeem you. We see this again played out in Ezekiel 16. We talk about another look of love. Ezekiel 16, and I'll look at verse, verse 4. Now this is talking, the, the direct implication here is talking about Israel. But we know as, as New Testament uh, disciples of God, disciples of Christ, that you are spiritual Israel. 
So these things that, uh, that apply to Israel in, in the past can also be seen in the light that they apply to you. So imagine this as you, okay? It says, as for thy nativity, in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither wast thou washed in water to supple thee. Uh, thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pity thee to do any of these things unto thee, to have compassion upon thee. But thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. Such a sad, sad image of rejection, of abandonment. You know, this is a, this is a sad and graphic image of, of a baby who was left abandoned. You know, some people say it was uh, stillborn. Some people say uh, that it was, it was born alive and abandoned. And, and to be honest with you, as far as the implication, as far as the metaphor and whatnot, it, it's exactly the same. <laughs> because either way, that child cannot survive without intervention. That child is as good as dead. Out there in the wilderness, not even washed. It's like the child was born and then immediately abandoned to die. I said, well, that is really harsh. Well, that is you. That is you. You, you think this world loves you. You think this world cares about you. You think that you, if you're like Peter, if you just blend in enough sitting around the fire, maybe you change your accent a little bit. Maybe you even curse a little bit to blend in, as it says he did in one of the, one of the Gospels. You know, this world will find you out. <laughs> they don't want you here either. You are a reject here. And so, just like this baby, nobody cares. Nobody cares about you. Except, except somebody does. <laughs> somebody does, and his opinion is the only opinion that matters. It says this, And when I passed by thee, and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, and I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, When thou wast in thy blood, live. We talk about a God of love. When even the mother of this child didn't care. And look, there are strong biological things that God has given to us as humans, attachment to children, so that we might not forget about our suckling child, right? But even when this mother would forsake this child, God comes along and He says, live. Now, uh, let's see, verse, verse 7, I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great. And thou art come to excellent ornaments, thy breasts are fashioned, and thine hair is grown, whereas, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love. And it wasn't the time of death. It wasn't the time of rejection. It says, your time was the time of love. Let's go over to, to the book of Ruth. <clears throat> so we see this wonderful image of God looking on His people and seeing 
that there would be none that would seek him, none that would do good, just the same way, the same image that we see of that baby that's, that's laying out there polluting its own blood. What's that baby going to do for, for God? Is that baby going to be able to reach up and to do some great work to deserve the goodness that God bestows on that baby? No, God chooses to place his love on that child. It is a look of love that he gives to that child. We see this, we see this look of love here in, in, in Boaz as he looks on Ruth. Boaz, this great type of Christ. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. This is Ruth 2 verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? He sees something. He sees Ruth. It's a look of love that he gives her, that he sees her. And they say, well, you know, she's, a, she's Moabitish. You know, you know, don't get too interested. You know, she's a reject. She's a loser. And she said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now, that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field? Neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Now this is exactly how the Lord is with you. As he sees you, as that Moabitish reject that you are, you have nothing to offer him. He's got all the money that he ever needs. He's got all of, he can speak this world into being. What, what are you going to be able to give him? Well, he loves you. <laughs> he sees you and he loves you. And so what, what is his response? It's not just a love that he admires you from afar. His love for you is a love that is in action. As he says, go not to glean in another field. I don't want to be parted from you. I want you to be right close to me. You know, that's why ultimately Christ went to the cross for you. Did you know that? Because he did not want to be parted from you. That his love for you outweighed the shame of the cross. It outweighed the pain of the cross. It outweighed the pain of the eternal judgment of God. That he would endure that so that he would never be parted from you. Now that is a look of love that he has bestowed on you, just like Boaz bestowed on Ruth. In Mark 6, we see this, and I believe I'll just summarize this for the sake of time. Jesus sends his disciples over to the other side. He says, y'all go on ahead. Y'all go ahead and, and get in the boat and go to the other side. I'm going to go up into the mountain and pray. And then in the middle of the night, Jesus sees them after they had been gone for hours. You know, they should, they should be getting close to the middle of this, this Sea of Galilee by then. And Jesus saw them tolling and rowing. You know, even though they were, they were miles away, even though the, the naked eye could not see them, 
Jesus saw them in the midst of whatever, whatever they were facing. Can you imagine what they were talking about, what they were doing? <laughs> As they were going without their master, without the person who was able to calm the winds and the sea, and they're toiling against the wind, and you know they've got to be thinking it. You know that the Bible doesn't tell us, but you know as human beings, they are thinking if Jesus was here, he could just turn the wind around and we wouldn't have to be toiling all night long and rowing. You know, you ever felt like the Lord has just abandoned you and you're just sitting there in the boat by yourself, working yourself to the bone? Well, Jesus sees you. <laughs> Jesus sees you just like he saw them. And here's the difference between, between if I were to see you in your pain and Jesus seeing you in your pain. I am limited in my ability to get to you, right? I want to help you. I, I, would, I would do anything for you. But Jesus Christ can get to you. Amen. What did he do? He said, oh, well, there's water in the way. I guess I need to wait on another boat. No, Jesus just walked across the water to him. Your Savior will come to you and help you. There's nothing that's going to get in his way. And he sees you. You know, or are you like this? Are you, is Jesus in the boat with you? And you've just forgotten who he is. You been there? In this situation, I guess they could be somewhat excused because Jesus wasn't in the boat with them and they were getting frustrated. But you remember that other time when the, when the storm came on them and Jesus was in the boat with them, but he was just asleep? And they come to him afraid and they say, Lord, do you care not that we perish? And what was his answer? Oh, ye of little faith. You know, we ought to, we ought to take that as a lesson. That, that when Jesus is in the boat with you, even, even if you don't feel like he's paying attention to what's going on, you know, as Brother Allen would have said, God's got this. <laughs> you know, we ought to trust in him. And that is easier said than done. Okay, let's move on. We read in, in Romans 2. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn over there really quickly. And I'm, I'm going to close this out. Let's, let's go back to, to Peter, okay? Now let's imagine, let's imagine what's happening here. As, as Peter is embarrassed of his Savior. He's embarrassed of Christ. Have you ever been there? I have been there. I'm ashamed to say it. I, I have backed down from situations out of embarrassment when I should have stood up for him. Peter backed away. He was embarrassed. And then immediately, once he had done that thing that Christ said he was going to do, Jesus looks over at him. He looks at him. Now, as I said, we can, we can really imagine. It doesn't take a whole lot of a stretch to imagine Jesus saying, I told you so. <laughs> right. How, how many of you, when you come to the Lord in your prayers and, and you feel perhaps conviction of your sin or maybe you've done something that, that you know you're not supposed to and you come to Him again and you, you are expecting to come before God with crossed arms shaking his finger at you, saying, I told you so. 
saying, how many more times are you going to do this? I'm getting tired of forgiving you. Now, that may sound like, like a caricature, and it is. But have you not felt that when you come before the Lord? And you imagine yourself as, or you imagine Him as being so tired of you and your sin? You know, we see this in Romans 2 and verse 4. And we're, we're just jumping to the context here. It says, Or despiseth thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? You know, is it the terror of hell that leads you to repentance? Is, is it the fact that, that God dangles you over, dangles your feet over the fires of hell that brings you to repentance? No, it is, it's His goodness. It's His grace, His long-suffering that brings you to repentance. You know, the reason that you are convicted, he, I mean, He gives you that. It's a, it's a way in which He is teaching you as a father would teach a child. But the reason that, that you feel that is not because ultimately you're afraid that he's going to kill you it's because you have let down you're you're afraid that you've let down a loving god all right so with that in mind let's go back to peter again and luke 22 as we see that jesus knew this was coming he said, I have prayed for you, and when thou art converted, after this has happened and you've come to your senses, <laughs> strengthen the brethren. He says, return to your post. Get back to work when this is all over. And then he looks, after it happens, he looks at Peter. Now, y'all can stay there. I'm going to flip to Isaiah 53. I just want to, I want to read this to you as we're considering what is going on with Jesus at this very moment. Isaiah 53 and verse 10, one of, one of the most famous prophecies of Christ and what He would do on the cross, prophesied hundreds of years before the events here of Jesus looking at Peter. Okay, It says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to bruise that suffering servant, to bruise Christ. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Now, we see this. The Lord tells us in this verse that he will see his seed. You know, what was Jesus seeing as he went through those events on that cross? He went through pouring out his soul as an offering. What was he seeing? <laughs> could it be, Lord, could it be that he saw me? That he saw you as he sat there on that cross? That's what we, that's what we read here. <laughs> It says, and he shall see his seed. He is seeing those people that he is purchasing on that tree. And his soul is satisfied in that. 
You want to talk about a look of love as he is on that cross? As he is enduring all kind of shame? Peter may have been embarrassed of Christ. I may have been embarrassed of Christ. You may be. But Christ was not embarrassed of me. Praise God that he would go up on that cross seeing you in that great look of love. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now what do we see then as Jesus looks at Peter? As Jesus here in this great covenant of salvation. I mean, this is game time, right? This is out of all of history. Jesus is undergoing the most significant thing that has ever happened. As he is moments, he is seconds away from going to that cross for the people that he loved to going to the cross even for Peter and for his sins that he just committed in denying Christ. And he looks over there. Do you think for one second that our Savior is sitting there in anger as he looks at Peter? I believe with my whole heart that it is a look of love that he gives to Peter because he is going to that cross for Peter. What does he do when, when Peter looks at him? Does Jesus say, well, that's it. I, I was going to do this, but now I've decided I'm, this off. This, the whole thing's off now. No, as a matter of fact, what he does immediately after Peter denies him and Jesus looks at him, Jesus continues to silently endure mocking and suffering and being smitten on the face for you, for Peter. <laughs> so when Jesus looks at him, it is my firm conviction, my firm belief that it is a look of love. When you come to Him in your prayers, you're not coming to a God with, of crossed arms, a God waiting for you to mess up so that He can punish you, so that He can scratch your name out of the book of life. No, you come to a God of love, a God who knows you, who sees you, who has been watching you your entire life, and who would bleed and die for you and would not be embarrassed of you. Now that is a, that is a look of love, a God of love. I pray that's an encouragement to you in your life as we come to Him time and time again. We're not coming before we're not coming before the law. We're not coming before uh, the, the, this judgment seat. We're coming before a throne of grace. That's what we have because of the blood of Christ. Now, just because we believe in grace doesn't mean you live any way you want to, okay? Our reaction to such a message ought to be that I want to even more now live for Him because He loves me. And He has done everything for me. The very least I can do. Your reasonable service is to love Him with everything that you have. I pray that's encouragement to you. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.